All right. Awesome. Well, welcome today to Grace. We're really, really pumped that you're here. Thanks for making this choice intentionally to be in worship. We started a very brief two-part series last weekend called Blessed to be a Blessing. Now, where did that idea come from? As we noted, God, when he began a covenant relationship with a man named Abraham so, so long ago, he set up this deal. It was this thing where he said, look, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. That's where we see the idea in a big way in Scripture. But it doesn't stop there. It, it really goes throughout Scripture. There's always these two parts to what God wants to do in our lives. And this is true of you today as a follower of Jesus or one who's wondering what that's about. God wants to bring all of his fullness in you. He, he wants to do immeasurably more than you could even imagine. He wants he wants to deepen you and mature you so that you literally are living and reflecting the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it never is intended to stop there. Ever, ever, ever. That's why we use little catchphrases like, we're to be a river, not a reservoir. A channel, not a clog. God's desire, yes, is to bless us. But he always wants us to be a blessing to the world, to those around us. It's an abundant life he calls us into, one that's filled with promise and possibilities and, and incredible potential. Now, by way of review, last week we looked at uh, the definition of what it means to be blessed, and that's incredibly important. We looked at the dangers of it, and then we talked about how God wants us to delight in his blessings. He wants us to really get a kick out of them, to actually enjoy them. The Christian life is not meant to be a drudgery. God blesses us, and it's partially for our benefit. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's a shocker to some people that with God's blessing comes some inherent dangers. We can get arrogant about it. We can have a false sense of security when he blesses us, particularly with material things. And it usually brings a lot more temptations into our lives whenever God blesses us. So, I want to turn the corner today, as last week we kind of talked about the realities of that, what it means to be blessed. But I want to turn the corner today and focus more on the last part of that saying. What does God really have in mind when he says, I want you to be a blessing? Well, certainly there's all kinds of things that can go into that. But one common characteristic that ought to be present in the life of every true believer is that God wants us to be generous people. Jesus put it like this. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I personally believe that perhaps the most significant sign of a person's genuineness, their faith in Christ, if you really want to know if it's real for them, look at their checkbook. 
Look at their bank account. Look at how they use the resources, the possessions that God entrusts to them. Show me what people do with their money, and I'll show you where their heart really is. You say, well, Pastor Rex, if we really wanted to get schooled, if we really wanted to kind of dig down, and maybe you're a new believer, or you just need a refresher course, and and some of these characteristics of being a blessing to others and what that looks like, where would you go in the Bible? Oh, there's tons of places. But I would say to you that perhaps there's no better single passage to get a grip on what it means to be a blessing, what that generosity thing looks like, than in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in a city called Corinth. And so today, I want us to unpack that a bit, and I want us to see four principles about generosity that are timeless, universal, and always, always relevant. I want us to unpack that together. Paul begins here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, by telling us about a poverty-stricken church in Macedonia. But here's the deal. Even though they had a tough go of it, he highlights these Macedonian Christians. He mentions them to the Corinthian Christians because the Macedonians had the generosity piece down in a big way. I'm going to start reading here in verse 1 of chapter 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian Christians. Out of the most severe trial, so they're going through hard times, that means... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Notice that phrase, they pleaded with us. They wanted to get in on the generosity thing even though they didn't have all that much. It just came out of obedient hearts. I'm sure Satan whispered, hey, you've got bills coming due. I'm sure he said, well, what if there's a downturn in the economy? Or perhaps he said, hey, let others step up and do their part. Or haven't you done enough already? But the Macedonians refused to use hard times as an excuse. They knew that giving is actually a privilege. So here's the first principle. The first principle, if you're jotting some notes down, that I would highlight. Giving is a privilege. And by the way, all these come just right out of the text, okay? They literally leap off the page at you, all the things we're gonna say here. Is a privilege, not just an obligation. So cultivate a grateful heart. Years ago, I heard a phrase, and I don't remember where exactly I heard it, but boy, I've been repeating it ever since. Here it is. Giving is not a debt you owe, it's a seed you sow. It's not this annoying debt that never goes away, no, it's this opportunity to sow a seed, to make an investment. And so, Debbie and I, as we give to Grace Fellowship and to numerous other causes, people that we believe in, we see it as sowing seeds. We literally think of it that way. 
And we get excited about seeing the harvest in God's time. You ask, but Pastor Rex, is giving an obligation? Answer, yes. We're actually commanded to in Scripture. But it's a privilege to give to the one who created everything, who is the owner, and who allows us to manage. And that sort of spirit of generosity is contagious. In fact, Paul even says of the Macedonians here, they gave as much as they were able, and I don't know how you do this, but he said they gave beyond their ability. What a, what a phrase of commendation. Now, most of my life, from the time I became a Christian at the age of 13, I was schooled in giving in the little church I grew up in. I've told you the story of how this gentleman, a well-respected leader in the church, a deacon in the church, came up to me and told me about the 10-10-80 principle, right? He said, son, and literally, I'm just a 13-year-old teenager. He said, I don't know how much money you'll make in your life, but if you give 10% away, you tithe it. If you save at least 10%, and then don't blow the other 80, wisely steward and use the other 80%. Here's what he said, you'll never be in need. (laughs) I thought that was an outrageous promise. But early on in my Christian life, I began practicing that, and I can tell you by testimony today that I have never, ever lacked. God has done immeasurably more. But in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, I think there's a little phrase here that we need to see, which kind of helps us understand the right motivation for giving. If it's not meant to be just an obligation, but a privilege, as he says, what's the motivation behind that? Verse 5, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So the second principle I want you to see today is this. Giving is a heart thing. So give yourself first. It's a heart thing. God wants us to give ourselves first. It's like if you throw your heart over the bar, listen, the rest of you comes with it. The Macedonian disciples were not just giving out of some religious duty. They they were giving because the relationship with God just warmed their hearts. And they, they just couldn't keep from giving. It flowed out of their pores. Can I tell you something I've learned in life? It's hard to do anything. Listen to this now. See if this is true in your experience. It's hard to do anything anything very long unless your heart's in it. Would you agree with that? Whatever it is, a sport, some job, some activity, you know, a relationship that you're involved, it's hard to do anything very long unless your heart is in it. But when you're motivated by love, oh, it's it's an inside out thing. You, You don't have to worry about motivation. It's just coming out of you. And when we're in a love relationship with God, we want to give because that's God's nature. So I just want to kind of repent a little bit before you today. I 
I really believe that I've not taught on this enough, honestly. If I taught as much on it as Jesus did, I, I would be covering it probably every three, four, five sermons. Something about stewardship. But I, as you know, those of you who've been around a while, you know that we hardly ever mention stewardship. I mean, literally, it's like once a year. We'll mention it in a little series, like once a year. That's about all we ever do. But we need it in our lives. It's a vital foundation stone of mature disciples. And the truth is, I take that seriously. Because one day, I'm going to give an account to God for how I stewarded my leadership. And just as I would want you to obey God in areas of sexuality or relationships or honesty or how you do your business or your marriage... Likewise, I want you to obey God on this issue. So let me ask you, how you doing? Are you obeying him? Jesus made an incredible statement. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not my words, Jesus' words. I don't know all that's behind that. But it says to me that there will be some people who are kind of going through the motions of religious stuff who don't really have a vital relationship with Christ. Boy, that's sobering, isn't it? Isn't that sobering? That there would actually be people who would be mouthing the right words but not actually be living the reality. So if we had a chance to sit down together and we were to probe that a little bit, and you were to ask me this question, I, I think it would be a good question. Pastor, what is the number one, the greatest test that Jesus is really Lord in a person's life? Boy, that would be so easy to answer. Honestly, I, I wouldn't even have to think. I wouldn't even have to blink on that question. The greatest test of lordship, the day you'll know he's number one in your life, The greatest test, is he Lord, is what you're doing with your possessions. That's the greatest test. And I've noticed over the years that when people really begin to walk with God and their life is lining up with all of his priorities and they're getting that sort of because you say so, Lord, kind of life going, look, I'm just going to be obedient. I'm not going to protest everything. I'm not going to fight you on everything, Lord. What I've noticed just through many years is that the possessions are usually the last thing to come on board. That's the real litmus test right there. And when people begin to wander and stray, when people uh, start doing their own thing, the possessions are the first thing to go. There's something about it that's a litmus test of where our heart really is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you come to love someone, you don't mind sacrificing for them. In fact, it sometimes doesn't even feel like sacrifice, does it? You're glad, you're joy-filled to kind of pay a sacrificial price to, to actually please and honor the one you love. Once King David in the Old Testament was going to make a sacrifice and he was looking for the appropriate sacrificial place and animals. And a guy named Arana, because he just wanted to honor the king, he offered to give him all that stuff that he needed to make the sacrifice. But here's what David said. The king replied to Arana, 
No, I insist on paying you for it. Catch these words there. This is, this is profound. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So what I'm saying is that God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need it. What he wants is what your money represents. Your heart. Does he have your heart today? Boy, he had the heart of these Macedonians. They gave themselves first to God. And when you give yourself first to the Lord, giving becomes a joy. Oh, I wish I could introduce you to dozens and dozens of amazingly mature Christians in this church that get what I'm saying right there. They're just going, as I'm saying, they're just going like, this is 101. I mean, this is like Christianity 101. Of course. It took me a while to get it. But when I realized that I was really needing to yield my life to his lordship, listen, giving just came on board with that. And he began to make me a more generous person. So make sure he has your heart before he has your possessions. There's a third amazing principle here I want to highlight from this passage. And that is giving consistently and generously is a mark of spiritual maturity. So seek to keep growing in the grace of giving. Look at verse 8. Paul writes, but just as you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Please listen carefully. The Christian life is both a gift from God. It's a grace gift. But it's also a process of growth. And from the time you come to Christ... He wants you to start growing deeper and more mature in him. That's why we use that little phrase a lot around here. You've probably heard it, more and better disciples. We want to introduce people to Jesus, but boy, it does not stop there. That's the starting line, not the finish line. The starting line, from there, you start growing deeper in his grace. And when he's given you a gift, when he's given you an aptitude, he wants that to be developed. And Paul says here, look, grow in the grace of giving. And one of the many changes God wants to bring in me and in you is he wants to take us from being selfish, rather stingy, self-centered people to being very open-handed, very selfless, very benevolent and generous people. And please mark these words. Consistent generosity that flows from a heart of love is a huge mark of spiritual maturity. Now some of you are listening to this and you're going, well, Pastor X, awesome. I got it. You know, when I first became a Christian pastor, I, I started giving and I, I gave $50 a week. That was years ago. And now I give $100 a week, and you're really happy about that, and I say, praise God, awesome. But the only challenge with that is that during that same period of years, your income has like tripled or quadrupled. See, God teaches percentage giving. And that's hard for a lot of people to do because the more you have, the more you're inclined to measure generosity by amount. But all through the Bible, God teaches that 
we give by percentage. For instance, in the Old Testament, he taught his Jewish people that they were to give 10% of their profit back to him. That was called a tithe. That's what 10% mean, that tithe means. It means 10%. And in Malachi chapter 3, he speaks of tithes and offerings. The offerings, all scholars would agree on this, were gifts above and beyond the tithe. So, Here's what it ought to be. For any of us who truly know Jesus, now if you're an explorer, that's a whole different gig. If you don't claim him as Lord, if you don't claim to be a follower, that's a whole different thing. We'd love to talk about that and how you could come into that relationship. But for true followers of Jesus, giving 10% ought to just be kind of a normal thing. And then like Debbie and me, I would hope that you would consider and be open to God prompting you to give to other things that he puts on your heart and to be generous even beyond that tithe. Keep growing, keep excelling in the grace of giving. Even ask God to help you, look, increase the percentage. Maybe once a year, bump it up a half a point or something. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe in to the storehouse. Now people say, well, what's the New Testament equivalent of a storehouse? Most scholars, most pastors, most Christian leaders through the centuries have said, well, it would be, it would be the local church where you, your life is planted, where you're growing, where you're serving, where you're connected to God and to others, where you're being nourished in your Christian faith. That would be like the storehouse. And so that's why Debbie and I tithe here at Grace Fellowship. But when we give offerings, we do other things. We support a child in Kenya that we've supported for years and watched him grow and get these updates and letters from him and so on. We support parachurch organizations often that we really believe in and believe they're doing an awesome job. And then we look for serendipity giving. What in the world is that? We look for opportunities that come along. We had one just this week where we said, look, we want to give to this thing. It was a few hundred dollars. We wanted to give it. We just thought it was a great opportunity, and it just happened serendipitously. Didn't see it coming, but thought this is something that we want to, again, sow a seed in. That's the way we think of it. And we look forward to the harvest and what God is going to do. Now, when I talk about this stuff, I bet I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> He's just trying to get us to give 10% to the church. Is that what you think? <laughs> oh, let me tell you, I'm trying to do a lot more than that. I'm trying to get you in on a revolution of generosity. That's what I'm trying to do. You know what I'm trying to do? I'd give 10% to the church. That's nuts. I'm trying to do a lot more than that. I'm trying to get generosity to flow from your pores as a disciple. I'm actually trying to get you to believe Jesus. When he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm trying to make you into a radical Christian who gets what the lordship of Jesus is all about. And boy, I hope it doesn't stop at church. I would hope that local waiters and restaurants would love to see you coming. 
Because they would know, hey, they're Christians. They're so generous. The bellboy at the hotel, the person who serves you in a certain place or a vacation you go on, I would hope that the word would get around. Oh, we love to see Christians coming. They're such generous people because we're blessed to be a blessing. And I would ask you, because I'm serious about getting this into your pores, so it would just come out of you. I don't want it to be some obligation, some little hobby. I want it to be just a core part of your soul. Most people in America, I believe this is what they do with their resources. They have a hoarding mentality. That is, they build up an estate and their life goal is to see how much they can build up. And so they intend to will all of their estate to their children when they die. And fr frankly, because that's just the accepted thing, they're kind of proud of that. And literally, literally, they take enormous pride, I'm just talking about the average, take enormous pride and wow, we're going to give hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars away to our children when we die. And so they accumulate all that, they die at the age of 85, and it goes to their children who are about 60 years old and don't need it anymore. That's the way it usually happens in America. I would suggest to you, if you're going to get radical about it, and that's what I'm about, radical generosity, that you would consider systematically giving some perhaps to your children when they actually need it. When do they need it? When they're going through college, when they're establishing a family, a house, a home. Now, I think you have to be careful with that because you don't want to become a part of enabling bad behavior. But we do need to give it where we can actually enjoy the blessing of that and see it. My in-laws are champions at this. Chuck and Marilyn, Debbie's mom and dad, in my eyes, they're heroic. They, I say this without equivocation, they are the most generous people I've ever known. It's unbelievable. But I'm telling you, they're living it out. They're wonderful Christians. They get it. They understand that God's the owner and they're the managers. And man, their goal is may the last check bounce. That's the way they're living. I mean... They're just, they just, they take delight in thinking that maybe, just maybe, the last check will bounce. They've given so much away. And they've been so generous to us as we were getting our first house, as we were just establishing our home, and what a blessing. They're heroes in my eyes, and Debbie and I want to live the same way. Are you kidding me? I don't want my kids to be secretly wishing that I would croak so they can get an inheritance. Are you kidding? I want them to pray every day, God, let him live longer so he can make more. He's blessing us so much. That's what I would desire. We're blessed to be a blessing. I've heard of grandparents getting creative with this, saving and planning ahead carefully so that they pay the down payment on all of their grandchildren's houses. Wouldn't that be amazing? There's all kinds of things you can do, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just about every new year, so many people I know, as they make resolutions and goals, they make this goal. I want to make way more money this year than I did last. 
That's an okay goal. Awesome. Great. I hope you do. My goal is to give more this year than I did last. That's one of our goals every year. And I think, with the exception of maybe one or two years, I think we've hit it every single year of our married life. I want to give more this year than I did last. We want to grow in generosity and learn to trust God more that he will resupply our needs. Well, there's one final principle here, a fourth and final principle that I wanna highlight from this section of scripture. And I'm telling you, it's like a clinic, this section. It, it is literally brilliant. You could, you could put this into a book, just this section, on kind of the psychology and the theology behind giving. Here it is, giving is always rewarded by God in his own way, so expect to reap a harvest. Expect it. I'll hear some really mature Christ followers in the church say, they'll, they'll say this, oh boy, you can't outgive God. Why do they say that? Because they've experienced it. They're not par parroting some tired old Christian cliche. No, it's got teeth to it. They can tell you specific times when they've sacrificially given and how God brought the reward. Verse six says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This principle of sowing is, and reaping is throughout scripture. It doesn't just apply to generosity, it applies to all kinds of behaviors and experiences and actions that we take. What we invest by faith in the sowing process comes back to us abundantly in the season of reaping. Now, let me give a couple of caveats on this because people get a little kind of carried away and some bad theology easily creeps in here. When we talk about expecting the reward, one caveat is it may not come back in exactly the way and the timing that you expected. Please know that. In other words, you may not get an immediate raise, but your car may last longer. Or you may not get that huge bonus you'd hoped for, but maybe God gives you unusually wonderful health during a season of time. I think you get the idea. In fact, another caveat, sometimes, sometimes all the reward may not be seen in this life. We may be sending it on to heaven where eventually we'll reap the full harvest of the seeds we've sown. So please, 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 please promise me you're not gonna get too wrapped up in exactly when or how God's gonna bring it back to you. I mean, you're gonna get it. You're gonna get the reward. It's kind of like that sign that was on the old country road way out in the country. The sign read, George Jones, veterinarian, taxidermist. Either way, you'll get your dog back. Some of you will get that on the way home, okay? You're going to get it back one way or the other. Verse 11 says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving 
to God. Now, I commend those of you, and this is hundreds of you, at all of our campuses who are getting in on the 2020 Vision campaign. You've already seen some of the rewards, some of the results of that. We've seen the Half Moon expansion already completed, and wow, how that has bolstered the ministry at Half Moon. And children and students are being blessed through that investment and those seeds that you sowed. But now, we're also getting wonderful reports back on the humanitarian aid, both locally and globally, from the seeds we've sown there. So, I want us to listen together now to just a brief update, just a brief little video, and then we'll wrap up our sermon today about some of the things that God is doing through 2020 Vision. Hey church, most of you know that every time we take in $10 for 2020 Vision, we set the next dollar aside for humanitarian aid work. And over the course of the last two years of this campaign, we've been able to be a part of so much great work that God is doing both here in our own neighborhoods and in places as far away as Uganda, India, and Lebanon. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that no matter what amazing ministry we're doing for God, we're bankrupt without love. And that's what this part of the 2020 Vision Campaign is all about, reflecting the generous and loving heart of God. And here's how we've been able to do that so far. Really, we're just getting started. Before this campaign is over, we're planning to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars more to trusted partners and causes, both here in the Capital Region and around the world. And it's not too late to get in on this. If you've never given to the 2020 campaign, you can make your first gift today. Whether you use an offering envelope or give online, just choose the 2020 option. You can even join the hundreds of us here at Grace who've made the pledge to give consistently to this campaign. Just fill out a pledge card in the lobby and drop it in the offering the next time it comes around. And finally, if God has been blessing you financially and you felt him nudge you to up your pledge amount, don't hold back on that. As we've heard Pastor Rex preach, God is glorified when we love and give sacrificially the way that Christ did for us. We have a lot to look forward to as we enter the next chapter of the 2020 Vision Campaign. Praise God for all the ways that he's used and will use our simple gifts to bring his light and life to the people who so desperately need him. Thank you for giving so faithfully, brothers and sisters. Keep up the good work. All right, that's a good update. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, and thank you, everyone who's involved in this amazing project. I wanna tell you, people are literally, you can anticipate this, they're literally gonna walk up to you in heaven one day and they're gonna say thank you. You don't know me, we've never met, but you gave to this thing called 2020 and here's how God used that in my life. That's literally part of the impact and the reward 
that you're going to see. Well, as we wrap up today, I want to read you the words of Jesus in Luke 16. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? We see this in the workplace a lot. A a CEO or a president may take a a junior officer, a manager in the company and say, I'm going to give this project to you and see what you can do with it. It's it's not huge. It just involves X amount of dollars. But I want you to take this and run with it, manage it, see what you can make of it. And you know how that works, right? If the person, if he or she does really well with that, what happens? They're given more responsibility, more honor, more leadership, more authority, more resources to manage. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. These aren't my words. Jesus said, look, I'm literally looking down on you right now. And oh, I want to bless you with what he called, this were his words, true riches. More authority, spiritual authority in your life. More of an impact with people around you. More maturity, more wisdom, more depth, more satisfaction in your relationship. The list goes on and on. But Jesus says, look, I'm looking at one thing right now as a sort of litmus test. Before I give you the true riches, I want to see how you're doing with worldly wealth. This is an amazing statement. I mean, I almost do a double take when I read that. Jesus is saying, look, let me see your checkbook. Let me see your bank account. Let me see your credit card statement. I want to get a sense here. Because listen, if you're not really honoring me with the little bit you've got, hard question, but I'm going to ask it. Why would I bless you with more? Jesus said, if you're faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many. If you're faithful with a little, I'm going to give you more and indeed true riches. So as we close today, I want us to say the words of these verses out loud. We looked last week at the previous verse from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want us to say these words out loud together. Can we do that? We're going to start with the word command. And this, this is what the apostle said to people like us, people who have been blessed pretty well with quite a few material things. Let's read it together as we close. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What a promise. We're blessed to be a blessing. But it requires we be a channel, not a clog, a river, not a reservoir. God rewards generosity. Father, thank you for the amazing truth of your word that we get to live. It's not easy. It shakes us. It challenges us to the core. Help us to get your heart on this, that you literally want to see how we manage worldly wealth.
because you want to give us true riches. Oh, I don't claim to know all that that means, but Lord, I want to get in on that. May we as a congregation live that out and experience the incredible joy of seeing you use our lives to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.